Hello and welcome to Radical Simple Living. This is episode 8 of series 2. Welcome to my homestead in Smallland, southern Sweden. And um, thank you for joining me yet again, unless you're a first time listener, in which case welcome. Now, I like to read reviews I get for this podcast and there's some very good ones up and I'm very happy for people to take the time and trouble to review them. But... Uh, one review I saw last week said, uh, it's a very interesting podcast, has lots of good factual information and it's, it's, it's lots of interesting points raised, but the presenter sounds a little amateurish. Well, there's a reason for that, because I am an amateur. I'm just sitting here in front of a microphone I got from a sale, in front of an old Chromebook, in a kitchen, uh, with... A pause button. That's basically how these podcasts are made. And so if they sound amateurish, I'm not bothered by that. It's about radical simple living and what can be simpler than that. Don't make life more complicated than it is. I apologise for the fact I'm a bit late with this podcast. We had major electrical problems here. Um, I told you a couple of podcasts ago I was having trouble with the lights going off and with lights coming on when I turn the tap on and when I turn the tap off, the lights go All sorts of things like that. And we finally had a wonderful electrician here um, who came and sorted out the problem and found that large numbers of inlet fuses coming in from the cable outside, uh, halfway up the wall, had at some point totally melted. So they were still conducting electricity even though the fuse in the middle of them had gone. But a mass of molten metal coatings, ceramic casings, it just meant the whole thing needed to be ripped out. I haven't had the bill for that yet. I will do. Um, but it, it, I'm very grateful to the electrician involved who was excellent and solved the problem in no time. Well, two days of work when she'd found out what the problem was, but she did very well. Now, this isn't a radio show. It's a podcast, and the big difference between a radio show and a podcast is most people listen to radio shows when they go out, um, or very close to where they might catch up later that week or something. The difference with a podcast is they're out there, and they stay around for years, and people can tune in at any time to listen to them. And I know new people coming to this podcast, some of them just dive in with the latest episode, and some of them go back to the very beginning and start off. Either of those things is fine, I don't mind. Um, but I do have to raise a topical issue at the moment, which if you're not listening to it at the time it's going out, won't make a lot of sense. Last weekend here in Europe, we had our clocks changed. And I know in North America, most of North America anyway, uh, uh, not in every area. I know uh, Arizona, most of it doesn't change its clocks. But you've changed your clocks this weekend, I know in Australia they did it some weeks ago because obviously the Southern Hemisphere uh, does things differently. I, I would like to say what an absolutely awful idea think changing the clocks are. You can call it what you like, daylight saving. It, does, it doesn't save daylight. Um, daylight is caused by the sun rising and the sun setting. It is not caused by somebody somewhere setting a time on a clock. Our bodies aren't set by somebody somewhere setting a clock. They are set by the natural things around us. Now, I live 
in Sweden. I don't live in the far north of Sweden. I live in the south of Sweden. I'm above the 57th parallel. And um, all I can say is that I find the clock change irritating. My body gets used to it getting a bit darker every night. Now, obviously, being in the north, just like people in Canada and people in Siberia and people in the Nordic countries will tell you, that um, it gets it gets dark by quite a bit every day. So in the middle of winter, we have very short days in the north and the very north of Sweden, north of Canada, parts of Alaska. The sun never rises in the middle of winter. But you can get used to it if it happens a little bit every day. If, you're, if the sunset is a little bit earlier every day, your bodies get used to it and you can cope with it. But then, for some reason that nobody's ever explained to me properly, um, apart from its historical origins, we change the clocks by a whole hour. So your body's been getting used to a gradual change in daylight hours, and all of a sudden you have to change it by an hour. And we're expected to get up at a different time, and go to bed at a different time, and eat at different times, and go to work at different times. And we expect our animals to do the same. Very often people will say, Oh, um, what we really need to do here is to um, just, just do it. And the farmers like it. The farmers like clock change. Farmers do not like clock change. I've never met a farmer who likes the clocks changing. Their animals don't care about the clock. Their crops don't care about the clock. These are natural things. And by messing about with what time we call it, which is just a construct, we do nobody any favours. People suffer loss of sleep every winter when the clocks change in the northern hemisphere I'm talking now and every spring presumably in Australia and New Zealand and for no reason whatsoever. Road accidents increase greatly because all of a sudden <coughs> people are driving home with one set of light conditions or driving to work with one set of light conditions and all of a sudden they have to go with another set of light conditions and they're not used to it and they're sleep deprived and they have more accidents. Go to the website and look for the accident rates due to clocks changing in your country and you will see it's true everywhere. It's a bad thing. I'm unbelievably old. But I'm not really, but I, I'm getting on. I can tell you in my entire life, I have never met anybody that thinks changing the clocks is a good idea. Never once. If there's somebody out there, you know, I've met people that say it doesn't matter to them. Say, oh, I just set the clock, it doesn't make any difference. Well, they are totally out of kilter with the natural world around them. That's all I can say. I take my hats off to the Amish of... Uh, North America, Canada and the US who don't change their clocks because they think it's a really silly idea. And yet again, we see the Amish are incredibly sensible at not just doing things because everybody else is doing them, but thinking their own way through. I have to change my clocks because I have children stay in the education system and they need to get to college or at school on time and so you know I have to do that but um, when my children are old enough and have left home I, I don't think I'll bother I think I'll sit here and leave all my clocks on summertime all the year round I prefer summertime to, to, to the winter clock summertime all the year round and I will just do it 
So anyway, I had to get that off my chest. And if this, if you're listening to this and it is no longer topical, I'm sorry. Okay, the title of this is What Happens Next Part 2. And what we did in What Happens Next Part 1 is we tried to decide why people are reacting so differently to what's going on around them. We said there are all kinds of worries about wars, there's worries about um, pandemics, there's worried about food shortages, there's worried about climate, there's worry about political situations, there's worried about energy shortage and food shortage. You know, one worry everybody has is of rising prices. It doesn't help if they say, oh, food inflation is just down to 6.8%. Whoopee. It's still 6.8% higher than it would have been. You know, and this is on top of the increases that we've already had. So life is difficult. And what I tried to do in the last episode, and if you haven't listened to it, you might like to give it a try, is to try and decide why some people just take these things in their stride and other people lose sleep worrying about them. And we discussed all kinds of reasons why this might be, um, including your religious, political views, your outlook on life generally, but also your personality. We tried saying if you're introvert, extrovert on one axis, and you're optimistic, pessimistic on the other axis, you will be able to plot yourself as being a pessimistic introvert or an optimistic extrovert or one of these things. These are probably not things you can do much about. But I will tell you this, we've all got to react to what's happening in the world in a very similar way, whatever our disposition. If you are somebody that goes to bed every night worrying about what's happening in the world, or if you're the kind of person that goes to bed at night and falls asleep without thinking about any of it, it doesn't matter because we've both got to do the same thing. So in this week's episode, I want to talk a little bit about how we respond to all these anxieties and worries. How does what happens next affect us? How is our simple lifestyle, our hopefully simple lifestyle, our progressing simple lifestyle going to be affected? And what can we do to hang on to what is good and hang on to what we want to do and hang on to our health and the health of our family and the safety of our family, our personal safety, and how can we make sure that we can ride out whatever happens? Okay, the first thing I'm going to say is stop trying to work out what's going to happen. Okay, let's think of two people. Let's think of one person that spends four hours every evening flicking between the news channels, trying to work out what's going to go wrong next, worrying themselves, looking at all the details of the war in the Ukraine, the war in, in the Middle East, and looking at the commodities markets and things like that. And another person that spends their evening learning to knit or honing in on their cooking skills or getting good at tying knots, or spending time with their families. One of these is going to hold you in good stead for the future, and the other one won't. It doesn't matter if you have worked out exactly what is going to happen in the world before everybody else. Because you know what? It's going to happen anyway. 
You might have your theory on how the war in the Middle East is going to go. But at the end of the day, unless you're a, a leader of one of the players in the, uh, in the war, it doesn't make any difference, really. If people say, oh, you can sway public opinion. Well, you can and you can't. Swaying public opinion takes a long time and the damage of wars usually happens very, very quickly. So, yes, keep yourself informed. Yes, know what is happening in the world around you. Yes, have opinions about it. Yes, do what you can to alleviate what's happening if you're in a position to do anything like that. But don't spend all your time worrying about it and don't spend all the time trying to foreguess what's going to happen next because we don't know. It's interesting to read all the novels. I, I, I read a lot. I read a lot of books, but I also, when I'm working in the day in the garden or in the homestead here, I'm listening to audiobooks. I listen to them all the time and uh, it's good. I can, I can read great works of literature and I can dig the garden at the same time or do the weeding. Or, 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 or do the ironing. It's great. If you're doing those things, you will realise there's lots of books written about things going wrong. There's lots of books about an apocalypse. There's lots of books about pandemics. There's lots of books about zombies. There's, if you go back in time, there's lots of books about Martian invasions. In the 50s, people were obsessed with people on Mars invading Earth and and of course that was called Mars is the red planet and it was called the red peril and of course that's probably a reflection on what they feared from the Soviet Union at the time and today one of the the main literary forms is about zombies isn't it there are large numbers of films televisions programs about zombies because zombies represent two things they represent fear of invasion because these are creatures that are going to start bashing on your windows. They always seem to be banging on windows, zombies, don't they? Have you noticed that? Um, I have a cat that does that as well. Always, always pouring at windows in a zombie-like way. They're always pouring, at, they're always, you know, walking or running and, and then nobody seems sure whether they're fast-moving or slow-moving. But they represent a fear of something we don't know anything about. They represent an invading army. But because they're zombies, we don't have to say where do they come from. We know where they come from. They're zombies. And at the same thing, zombies also have our fear about infection. How do you stop becoming a zombie yourself? How do you... Well, there we go. I've answered the question why zombie things are so popular. They combine our fears about being invaded by some war, some devastation hitting us. They also look at our fears of infection or people infecting us when maybe we don't know we've been infected you know these things are a worry and literature film all of these things play on our worries in every generation that's always there what you can learn from reading and looking at these things if you're interested you don't have to watch them at all it's not interesting once you've seen one zombie quite honestly you've seen them all haven't you once you've seen somebody with a load of blood on their chin wandering around with their arms in front of them, you've seen them all. Um, but what's interesting always is how people react to this. And you see how people react normally is by trying to make themselves safe and trying to procure food. 
And that's what we've all got to do. We don't know what's going to happen next. We don't know if wars are going to happen. We don't know if there's another pandemic. We don't know if there's economic collapse. We're pretty sure there's going to be some kind of environmental collapse. But we don't know the details. So we've got to be ready. Usually at this time of year when most of the leaves are off the trees here in small land, I can look out my kitchen window here and I can look up into the trees and I can see a couple of squirrels. Uh, the squirrels we have here in Sweden are those red squirrels with tufty ears that everybody likes so much. And it's true to say most of their diet is pine cones. If I walk a little way into the woods here, I will find tree stumps that are covered in pine cones being broken apart because that's where the squirrels sit and eat their, um, eat their bounty. But for the sake of this argument, we're going to say they eat nuts because I know a lot of you live in countries where there are grey squirrels that eat nuts and don't care for pine cones much. Now, what do squirrels do every winter? They don't sit around in little groups having conversations. They don't use social media. They don't watch television news. They don't say, well, what sort of winter do you think we're going to have this, this year, squeaker? And Squeaker says, well, well Nutkin, I, I'm not sure. I think it's going to be an OK winter. So, you know what? I don't think I'm going to save as many nuts this year. I think I'm going to go easy on the nut collection. Last year, there were nuts left over that I didn't use. I don't want the same thing to happen this year. So I'm going to store less. And the other school says, yeah, well, you know, my children are left home. I don't need as many nuts as I normally get. There's loads of nuts in the woods. I'm not going to bother this year. I'm just going to, you know, enjoy myself and... Uh, I'll keep a few nuts indoors, but nothing special. Now, that is an imaginary conversation, by the way. That wasn't real squirrels. It was, it was an amateur uh, squirrel conversation, scripted by me. Uh, the point is, squirrels don't know what's going to happen, but they do know their job is to store nuts. Because if they don't store nuts, they go hungry. If they go hungry, they get ill or die. If there aren't many nuts about, other squirrels will come and try and steal their nuts. They know their children will suffer. They know their families will suffer. They know their colony will suffer. They know their species will suffer. So every autumn, the squirrels will spend their time collecting nuts. And we've got to learn something from that. Squirrels don't know how bad the winter's going to be, unless you're one of these people that believe squirrels have some kind of insight. I, I probably think they don't. They collect the nuts anyway. And the more nuts they collect, the happier they are. Now, in many ways, we have got to prepare ourselves for anything that happens. And there's a few things we can do, even though we don't know what the threat is. The first thing I'm going to say is a word that is often misinterpreted. We've got to be strong. Now, when I say we've got to be strong... I don't suggest we've all got to uh, have enormous biceps and be ready to fight our way out of any situation. I mean, we've got to be strong emotionally. Yes, we've got to be physically fit. And my recommendation to you, whatever your age, whatever the state of your health, whatever disabilities you have, always try and be as fit as you can be. Because being fit is your best insurance against something going wrong. And I know many of you have long-term illness. I know many of you have disabilities. But whatever your disabilities are and whatever your illnesses are, 
you can still respond to them in a way that makes you fitter than somebody that doesn't bother. If you're a truck driver and you like to keep fit when you're not sitting in your car, you like to do exercise, you like to get out in the fresh air and walk or work in your, with some weights in your bedroom or whatever you choose to do, you're going to be stronger than a somebody who works with you who doesn't do those things. So strong in a physical sense is one of those things and we can't all be incredibly strong but we can all be as strong as we can be and strong in an emotional sense too. Hang on to those things that are important to you. Hang on to your values, hang on to your beliefs, hang on to your appreciation of things, hang on to your joy in nature, your joy in cooking, your joy in gardening, your joy in your family and in your neighbourhood and reading books and listening to music. All these things are wonderful and they will make you mentally and physically stronger. Be ready for those things, hang on to those things. You've got to be secure. You have got to feel safe in your own home. Now, feeling safe in your own home doesn't mean, you know, filling your house with uh, uh, semi-automatic rifles and weapons and stuff like that. You do, what you really need to be is secure. Make sure when you go to bed at night, you're locked up properly. Make sure your house is as secure as it can be. Make sure you've got smoke detectors and fire alarms and they work. Make sure that if you've got a dog, that dog is ready to bark and woof if anything goes wrong in the night and wake you up. These are things you can all do to make your home secure. If you live in a house which you feel very insecure in, if you live in a house where every night your door is battered by meth dealers or something like that, or your doorways are regularly used by people for things you don't want, you know, try, try, try to go somewhere else. Try and move out the city, try and move to the countryside. You may have costs involved in that but your life is is really important and your safety is important and your well-being is important you consider those things keep calm about things you know if if war breaks out in the middle east make sure you still get your laundry done make sure you still cook a soup for lunch make sure you still give your floor a wash make sure you look after your animals well carry on doing the things that you would ordinarily do. If you look back in history to events like World War II, uh, I know more about World War II in Britain because I am British, you know that people got on with it. They didn't know if they were going to be bombed uh, the next night. They didn't know if they were going to have their house have a firebomb drop in it and burst into flames. They didn't know if the factory they were working in was going to be shelled. They didn't know, but they did develop a way of getting on with their everyday life that meant life continues. Life has to carry on. You have to sleep, you have to eat, you have to work, you have to do all these things. Be prepared for anything. That doesn't mean build a huge basement under your house and stop canning and fill it up with thousands of jars of food that are going to keep you going for 30 years. It means make sure you have a stock cupboard that is well full. And that make sure a lot of that stock cupboard is things that aren't going to perish. Dried goods that are vacuum sealed, cans. I'm not suggesting you're going for an all-out bunker mentality. But I do suggest you wonder what will happen if the shops don't have food in for some reason. 
you want to know that you can look after yourself and your family at home. That's not being dramatic, that's being sensible. That's what a squirrel does with its nuts. Tell a squirrel it can get nuts whenever it likes, the squirrel is still going to keep a store of nuts and you should keep stores of essential. Think about water in particular. You know, if you've got the kind of system where your water is pumped into your building, if the electricity goes, the water stops going. I've got a, a few, I, I get regular power cuts here and so I keep containers of water from the well in the house and I fitted a pump to my well that's all weather, even at minus 20 Celsius, I can still pump water up from the well. So that's what being prepared means. It doesn't mean being prepared takes over your life. It means being prepared is doing some sensible things. And be aware of what is going on around you. Don't sit for hours in front of the news, but be aware of things, especially keeping an eye on the prices of things. For instance, I always, I don't get papers delivered here, so I have to rely on the internet for news. But I often look at those pages in newspapers which tell you what is happening to the Brazilian coffee crop, or the Indian rice crop, or the Italian olive oil crop. Because sometimes they say, oh, oh, it's been a bad year for um, coffee this year in Brazil. And so you can stock up a bit on the coffee while the prices are low. Save yourself some money. Olive oil. I knew there was going to be an olive oil shortage. I got some in. I got some olives in too. Not a basement full of them, but enough to last me through until next season. Um, so keep an eye on what's happening. Be aware. Be aware of what's happening internationally. Be aware of what's happening nationally. And be aware of what's happening really um, in your neighbourhood and in your family. Try and encourage your family to develop sensible attitudes to what they do so you're not contributing to things. In particular, look at what you wear and look at what you eat and look at your energy consumption. If you can make less of an impact on the planet with what you eat and what you wear and how you use your energy, you're going to be doing some good. And by doing some good, you'll be helping this situation. So stop trying to work out what's going to happen because anything can happen. Think of safety of you and your family and think about what you will do if things go wrong. Now, what things are going to go wrong? What will you do if you dial 911 or 999 or 112 or 111, whatever the emergency number is in your country, wouldn't it be a good idea if we all had the same emergency number everywhere? Surely you'd think that could be worked out somewhere, wouldn't you? But what happens if you dial that and there's nobody there? Can you deal with the situation? If somebody's breaking into your house and you dial the police and there's no police response, if you have a medical emergency and you you know, think about these things, think, right, this is what I will do. It doesn't mean an enormous change in your lifestyle. It just means you're a little bit better prepared. What happens if your supermarket down the road runs out of food because of hurricane or because of flood or because of pandemic or civil unrest? How long are you going to be able to feed yourself and your family for? Have a think about that. It's not being extreme to think about these things. It's being sensible. And I'm 100% in favour of sensible. 
sensible works. Think about what you can do. We, I've heard several things about what happens in a, a societal breakdown. And, two, and, and I've, I've seen various government's estimates of what happens. Like, for instance, if electricity goes off, how, can, how long is it before people start looting shops? Well, the answer is between 8 and 24 hours. Think about that. How long would people go without food before they're willing to steal for it? Well, the answer is, uh, if they miss six meals in three days, psychologists have worked this out, if somebody misses six meals in three days, in other words, they're only getting one meal a day or two meals some days and no meals that, they are going to steal food. Okay? You would probably do the same. So don't put yourself in that position. Make sure you're well stocked up with food in your home. You can do. And again, if you've got no space to stock food in your home, think very carefully about where you're living and if it's suitable for you and see what you could do about that. So if you phone the emergency suppliers and nobody is there, that's a time to worry. If your electricity goes off and everybody, not it's like me when only my electricity goes off, if everybody's electricity goes off, You've got, to worry. you've got to be safe in your home if that happens. And, you know, make sure you've got emergency lighting and make sure your family know what to do. And make sure you've got, if you've got electric torches, flashlights in the States, make sure they're positioned in a place you can find them in the dark. You know, don't say, oh, they're in a drawer somewhere and uh, you don't want to be rummaging around. You know, make sure I keep one on my bedside cabinet with a little handle on the cabinet and it has a torch in so if I wake up in the night and there's no lights I can reach out my hand and find it these are ways of being prepared for what happens next even though we don't know what is going to happen next also make sure that you know enough first aid make sure that your children and your partner knows enough first aid if you're not going to be able to get help quickly are you able to bandage people up properly? Are you able to stop bleeding? Are you able to deal with somebody if you've got diabetic in your house? Are you able to deal with hypoglycemia or hypoglycemia effectively? Are you able, if somebody has a particular medical condition in your house, are you able to do things? If you're asthmatic, have you got enough supply of prescription medicines in and inhalers to see you over any time? This is being prepared. You don't know what you're being prepared for, you're not trying to guess what you're being prepared for. You're just going to be prepared. Thank you for joining me today and I hope to see you again very soon. Bye for now.